Now, have you ever lost yourself so deep in something or someone that you forgot who you were? Imagine if that happened every day. For Joel Salinas, things got particularly intense during his third year of medical school. One of the lectures I had was about the brain, and I was just so mesmerized by how beautiful the brain was. And so when it was time for my psychiatry rotation to start, I was really excited and I was really gunning to learn everything I could. On his first day, Joel walked into the psychiatric emergency room. The junior resident that I'm with says, oh, this patient is having a psychotic episode as a part of their mania. He had been fighting with the security guards. He'd been threatening to punch people. Let's go, going to interview him. And he's in this isolated room. And before we even say anything, he jumps out of the chair that he's in and knocks the table and the chair over. The patient was high on cocaine. As soon as he saw Joel and the other resident walk in the room, he turned to them and announced, I have psychotelekinesis. I'm an X-Men. And I'm here to save the world because there's a bomb. And then he looks at me and he says, I have psychotelekinesis and I know you have psychotelekinesis too. My first reaction to that was, how did he know? How does he know that I have this thing that other people don't have? And then he pushes the table over and lunges towards us. And at that moment, the junior resident grabs me by the elbow and we like run out the door, close the door and call security. Security is running into the room and all I hear is shuffling and pushing and bodies up against the wall. And I'm up against the wall with my heart just racing and my mind is reading like kind of not knowing where was I, what had just happened. And it was only until the resident who grabbed me by the by the shoulder and says, mm, that's probably not a good patient for you to start with, that I could begin to say, oh, crap. OK, take a deep breath. Joel isn't really like the other medical students. He has this condition called mere touch synesthesia. My brain immediately tries to recreate the physical experience of whoever I'm looking at in myself as if I were looking at myself in the mirror. I'll be at like a coffee shop working on my, on my laptop and suddenly I'll feel like there's kind of weird fingers in my mouth. I'll be like, where the heck are these fingers coming from? And just in the corner of my eye, just next to me, there's somebody like picking the spinach feta wrap out of their teeth. It's like his brain is making a guess of how something feels. And Joel perceives it as colors, shapes, and numbers. It's intense. My guesses have color and number manifestations of them. He remembers when he was little, he would sit in front of the TV and watch cartoons. And I see Roadrunner sticks out his tongue and I feel like my tongue is sticking out. Or Wile E. Coyote gets hit by a truck and I feel like I'm hit by a truck. Of course, he could just turn the TV off. But then, he started going to school. I found myself really just avoiding people. I went to a high school that was what some people would call kind of in the rough part of town, right? We had metal detector sweeps and 
you know, there'd be fights often. And, and I remember seeing this one fight where these these two girls were really going at it. One had her right hand grabbing the back of the head and hair of the other one, while the other girl was doing the exact same thing, and they were using their open left hand to claw at each other's faces. And seeing that, I felt the sensation of a fist just like really digging into the back of my scalp and hair. And as they would run their nails against each other's faces, feeling as though they were like arrowheads just trailing down my face. Joel preferred to keep to himself, doing homework and reading books off in the corner. I would just observe. I was, I was perpetually this guy that was there but not really there. All that hard work, it paid off. He got into Harvard Medical School. And it was there where he first heard about synesthesia. I just became so curious about the brain and perception. How is it that the way that I react to the world is so so different from, from others? In the classroom, Joel could manage his synesthesia. He knew where to look and what people to avoid. But then in his third year, when he started working with patients, things got way more intense. We were in the workroom on the, on the ward when suddenly a code blue alarm goes off. And it's a medical emergency. Code blue, code blue. Here's my chance. Here's an emergency. Let me see how I can help, what I can learn. And, and within a few feet, we walk into this reading room. People are crowded around near the ground. And I first see a woman who's in a corner just shrieking in horror. The sound of her voice, to me, was not just the sound of her voice, but it was also kind of a dark mahogany that was, like, wet. It's the wife of this man who's on the ground. He's in cardiac arrest. The doctors tear open the man's shirt and begin chest compressions. I feel like the air is kind of being pushed out of me and then just slowly inflating and then pushed and then slowly kind of filling again with air and then being pushed out and being refilled again with air. I feel just like the hardness of the linoleum up against my back as well. He watches as they slide a breathing tube down the man's throat. I feel like there's a sharp object being slid down my throat. And then they attach the bag valve, and as they're moving the bag valve, the chest rises on its own, and I'm feeling my chest rising. Joel stood there frozen, while the crowd of doctors shuffled in front of him. And I'm telling myself as it's going on, it's going to be okay. He's going to he's going to be fine. This is what happens. This is normal. Afterwards, we're going to talk about how we saved his life and we're going to go through the medical facts and I'll be so much more ready for the next time. But that doesn't happen. The man died right there on the linoleum floor. I have this feeling of just empty. It's just total silence. Like, all the physical sensations that were going on before have just stopped. It's like you're in this room by yourself where there's an air conditioner in the background, but then suddenly the air conditioner just stops. And there's this eerie silence. And you don't know when it's going to turn on again or if it's ever going to turn on ever again. And it's that, that sensation of just empty silence I had to force myself to breathe. I couldn't anymore. I was just... I was there on the ground dead with him. I ran around the corner 
ran into a private bathroom, and I threw up. And I remember just staring at my reflection after having flushed the toilet, seeing myself, to seeing my face and telling myself that I'm, I'm not the one that died. This is my body. Joel splashed his face with cold water, focusing on the feeling of the droplets on his cheeks. As he stood there in the bathroom, in front of the mirror, he started to wonder. If, if I can't handle a death, how am I supposed to handle the rest of my medical career? How am I supposed to be a doctor? How am I supposed to be there for people when they really, really need me, when they really need to trust their doctor? And at that moment, I just told myself, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out how to make this work. I need to see more. Joel went all in. Whenever there was a code blue, he rushed to the scene. I need to see more of the most bloody, the most intense, the most traumatic experiences. There was one time in surgery, they cracked open the chest of a gunshot victim, and the lead surgeon asked Joel to perform the internal cardiac massage. Joel stood there pumping the man's heart with his hands, just trying to feel his own eyebrows before he passed out. I had to focus on, one, my breath, just breathing, breathing in and out. Here's my tongue in my mouth, here are my shoulders, here is my heart, here are my breaths, here's my belly, here are my hips, here are my knees, here are my ankles, here are my toes. After going through the trauma unit, I felt like, okay, I've seen how bad it can get. So I I began to feel like, okay, I've got a handle over this physical pain, this medical suffering. But what I wasn't ready for was psychological and emotional pain. And that was going into the psychiatric unit. That's where Joel encountered the man who said he had telekinesis. And it was at that moment where I was like, I I can't do psychiatry. I can't go into psychiatry. It was just too scary, and I just didn't know that I could handle it. But there was one rotation where Joel's synesthesia actually helped him with his patients. It was in neurology. And there, he saw thousands of people who were dealing with tumors and seizures and strokes. There were people whose brains were seen as different, kind of like Joel's. I reflexively have some skin in the game. I see someone in pain or in distress, I feel it in me. So I want to make it better. And when I make it better, I feel better too. As much as Joel found satisfaction in making his patients feel better, he wasn't able to do it for himself. I'm here early in my in my medical career, and, I, and it's so important to be credible, to be reputable, to be really grounded in science and in facts. I was just so focused on becoming a really great doctor that I just kept on putting the personal stuff to the side. Joelle had been in one serious relationship, and it didn't go well. I can get really entangled in somebody else's experience. Being around somebody else, another human, can be just so destabilizing. So he swore off dating while he was in medical school. But now, he was almost done with his training, And it seemed like it was only a matter of time before he would meet someone. I decided to do a little rotation out in Seattle. And by the end of it, 
I decided I wanted to celebrate it. Didn't really have anybody that I could go out with, but a friend of mine said, no, 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 go go out by yourself. I do it all the time. You should just go. So I wandered out in the rain, found a local gay bar, and I got there way, way too early. I was like the only person sitting on a couch, like checking my emails. And eventually people slowly began to wander in. And as the club kind of gets really full, there's people dancing now, it's getting louder and louder. I noticed there's a pair of eyes off in the distance that keeps on looking my way. This is strange. Why is this person staring at me? It's kind of uncomfortable. I'm just going to go say hi and just get it over with. So I walked over, I introduced myself, and when he spoke, man, what a smooth voice. It was just deep and just, for me, that felt like warm Nutella. It was just so delicious. Oh, the, the flavor of that voice was so good, and I just kind of melted. He was very tall, and the immediate synesthetic reaction was a great big red-orange five and a tall black nine with little smatterings of kind of light blue fours and sevens. So the, the fours are very friendly and lovely, and I love that number. Sevens are kind of awkward but endearing, and the nines are have this kind of executive presence, kind of this, it's this very tall, kind of dark number. But the red orange five is, a, it, I, I tend to try to avoid fives. There's something just very self-centered about fives. His name was Jordan, and the relationship escalated quickly. After a few months, Jordan moved to Boston, where Joel was completing his residency. They got married after a year or so. And slowly, what Joel had spent the last couple of years trying to prevent started to happen. He was losing himself in Jordan. He kind of insisted on going on vacation a lot to Hawaii. And there was uh, one time where I actually had time off, but I needed to stay in the area uh, for the hospital. And, and as he kind of rolled with his bags out the door, the minute the, the door closed, the minute he was out of my, my sight, I felt like I weighed less. I just didn't have a, a, a full sense of myself. And even if I did look in the mirror, um, it was just a, it was a fraction of me. It wasn't the whole of me. Like I, I wasn't complete, uh, like physically complete unless I saw him. So it, it just felt off. Joel finished his residency. He and Jordan moved into a big two-story house. They were starting to plan a family when Joel found out that Jordan was cheating on him. I got a text from a friend of mine said, hey, I didn't know that you and Jordan had an open relationship. My reply to that was, we don't. He was out of town at the time, and he wasn't going to be back in town. I just needed to ask for the divorce. And so I really insisted that, that we needed to talk. And... He said, oh, I'm in, the, I'm in between meetings, and I'm going to a dinner, I'm driving on the road. And I said, it just, we just need to talk. And so he said, well, let me just pull the car over, and I'll FaceTime you. And I was in the bedroom, and I remember the lights were all out, except for the light in the bathroom. And I was sitting on our bed when I could still smell him on our sheets. And I had my laptop on, on my lap. I wrote a whole script from beginning to end that I was just going to read that I kind of told myself that no matter what happens, just keep reading, keep breathing, and keep reading. And so he, he called via FaceTime. From the screen of his laptop, he could see Jordan sitting in his car, 
I felt my back against a, a leather car seat, my head against the headrest. I felt the seatbelt um, coming across my chest. Every time I would look away from the script and look at him, I could see his face becoming more flush and then feeling my face as if it were becoming flush. His breathing kind of picking up, his shoulders raising and lowering, and my shoulders were already raising and lowering, but now I had this added layer of another pair of shoulders raising and lowering. Like a real, real echo chamber where things just get louder and louder and louder between the two of us. What what kind of kept me on script was just my heartbeat. This is my heart, my heart, my heart, my heart, my heartbeat. And the minute I would look back up to the screen, it would be kind of all over it. And there's this kind of silence. This is not this is not true. This is not gonna happen. I don't have to do it. And I was as I was looking at him, I noticed that silence just gave me just enough room to to see that in in the corner, the whole time my fate had, had been there as well. Oh, I'm here too. And as I saw myself in this, all the physical sensations that I was experiencing from seeing this person kind of sitting in the bed, I was feeling those things not just because my brain was making me recreate it, but because I w- that was me which kind of jarred me enough to kind of realize that I needed to to do this for that person in in the video to to do that for for me. I said I wanted a divorce. God, it hurt. <laughs> There's just a lot of pain. Um the I mean the minute I pressed the red phone button um, the video just turned to just me instead of him and I just closed the laptop and just balled up on my knees on my bed and just bawled Joel and Jordan got a divorce he moved out of the big house and back to Boston now I have my own apartment. I didn't really bring much from the house that we were together because I wanted to start over. And I made sure that my house had a lot of mirrors in it so I could see my reflection because it, it just helps to remind myself that I'm here, that I'm myself, that I'm not this kind of invisible blob that that can easily take on the experience of other people that I also am in my own body. Big thanks to Joelle Salinas, who was a neurologist at Harvard Medical School and the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Neurology. He is also the author of Mirror Touch. We'll have more at snapjudgment.org. That story was produced by Adiza Egan.